Well, happy Sabbath, everyone. It's good to see you again. It's a very encouraging uh, <clears throat> for a speaker to see his audience come back. So uh, thank you uh, for that. How many of you had a uh, blessed lunch uh, just before? Thank you. Well, wow, that's a, a tremendous blessing. Well, we're going to carry on our study uh, for this weekend. As you know, we uh, began... Earlier on today, we're talking about the, uh, the investiture of Aaron the priest, the confirmation of Aaron the priest into the role of uh, his, uh, his priestly role in the uh, sanctuary in the time of Moses. And we began to look in the book of Leviticus how there were certain qualifications that uh, was mandatory for the priest to go through in order for him to be confirmed or qualified uh, to do his job in the sanctuary. Uh, today we're going to go back to the book of Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 1. And uh, before we even talk about the meat offering, we want to talk about another offering that's known as the burnt offering. What offering did I say? The burnt offering. And that's found in the book of Leviticus chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to the book of Leviticus chapter 1. And we will begin reading from verses 1 down to verse 17. Before we begin, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, once again, we humbly come before thy throne of grace, seeking for your mercy and for enlightenment upon our hearts and our minds. Bless us, we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leviticus chapter 1. Let's read verses 1 down to verse 17. There were five offerings in the sanctuary, and this is the first of the five. The burnt offering. Leviticus, the first chapter, beginning with verse 1. The Bible reads, And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a what, friends? A burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. And he shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests, Aaron's sons, shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the what, friends? The burnt offering and cut it 
into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar, and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall lay the pots, the head and the fat, in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar, to be a burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. And if his offering be of the flocks, namely of the sheep or of the goats, for a burnt sacrifice, he shall bring it a male without blemish. And he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before the Lord. And the priests, Aaron's sons, shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar. And he shall cut it into his pieces with his head and his fat. And the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. Verses 14 to 17. The Bible reads, And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of fowls, then... He shall bring his offering of turtle doves or of young pigeons. And the priest shall bring it unto the altar and wring off his head. Now, how descriptive is that? <laughs> and burn it on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be wrung out at the side of the altar. And he shall pluck away his crop with his feathers. And cast it beside the altar on the east part by the place of the ashes. But he shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but shall not divide it asunder. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a what, friends? A burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor. Unto whom? Unto the Lord. Very descriptive, isn't it? In the book of Leviticus, there are four offerings that the Bible tells us that were mandatory. It was required. It was compulsory. You had to bring these offerings into the sanctuary. But one offering was voluntary. Altogether, they make up five. There was the meat offering or the grain offering. Then the Bible speaks of a peace offering, the sin offering, the trespass offering, and the burnt offering. Five separate offerings in the book of Leviticus. Now the Bible tells us that we just read that a man could bring a bullock, a sheep, a goat, even turtle doves or young pigeons. However, the Bible makes it very clear that it must be clean. It must be what? It must be clean. 
The Bible furthermore tells us in the book of Leviticus that the offerer had to lay his hand on the head of this animal. Then the Bible teaches us the offerer was responsible, was the one responsible in killing the offering. Thus teaching the sinner that it was his sins that was responsible for killing our Savior. Amen? The offerer was the one responsible, not the priest, but the offerer. He had to kill it. Then the Bible says he had to flay it in the King James Version or skin it. Then the Bible says he had to cut it in pieces. And then the Bible says that the priest would come with a bowl and he would capture the blood in the bowl and then sprinkle it around about the altar. Furthermore, the Bible teaches us that the animal was then cut into pieces, placed in, alt, placed in order, and put on the altar of burnt sacrifice. Then the Bible says that the whole animal, not just part of it, but the whole animal was consumed by fire. Now, each of these sacrifices gives us a preview into the mind and the character of God. Let me repeat that one more time. Each of these offerings gives us a glimpse into the mind and the character of God. Come back with me to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 1. And I'm going to show it to, uh, from the Word of God. One characteristic about God and about how he, how he runs heaven. The Bible says in Leviticus chapter 1, beginning with verses 7, then 8, and jump over with me to verse 12. Leviticus chapter 1, verses 7, 8, and 12. The Bible says, And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood hell in order upon the fire. Notice that. Then the Bible says in verse 8, And the priests... Aaron's sons shall lay the parts, the head and the fat, how? In order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. Now jump over to verse 12. The Bible reads, And he shall cut it into his pieces with his head and his fat, and the priest shall lay them, how friends? In order on the wood that is on the fire, which is where? Which is upon the altar. God made it very clear, specifically clear, that they were to put the wood in order. Furthermore, the Bible says that they were to put the sacrifice, how? In order. They weren't just to pile it up and throw the sacrifice any odd way upon the altar of burnt offering. But the Bible makes it clear that they were to put it in order. Thus, we get our first glimpse into the mind and the character of God. That God is a God of order. Do you see how these offerings gives us a glimpse and a preview into who God is? The burnt offering first and foremost teaches us that God is a God of order. They weren't just to pile the offering and just throw it in, order, in any ordinary way, but they were to put it specifically in order. 
When God wants us to work for him, he wants us to work for him in order. We are told in the pain of inspiration that order is the principle that governs heaven. And if order is the principle that governs heaven, how much more our church and our family life? God desires for us to replicate the character of God by living and working in a decent and orderly way. For the Bible makes it clear that God is not the author of confusion. God is a God of order. And in the Bible, we see the signature and the character of God from Genesis to Revelation. There is order in heaven. There's even a chain of command that God gives in the Bible. Come with me to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Speaking of order, notice here the order of God. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1. Revelation, what chapter are we on? Chapter 1 and verse 1. The Bible reads, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. The Bible makes it clear that the revelation of Jesus Christ, God, who did I say? God gave unto him. Who is that him referring to? Referring to Jesus. So the Bible says that God gave the revelation to Jesus. Notice the order. Then the Bible says, to show unto his servants things which must Shortly come to pass. And he, who is that he? Sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. Now notice the order in the book of Revelation. The Bible tells us that God, who did I say? God. Can you all see that? Gave the book of Revelation to who? Jesus. Then from Jesus, he sent and signified it, the angel. Then from the angel to who? To John. And then from John, servants. Remember that because we want to come back to that in the next few moments. Do you see God's order? The book of Revelation went from God to Jesus, to the angel, to John, to us servants. Thus amplifying the fact that God is a God of order. When we reject the book of Revelation as servants... We are more than just rejecting John. In essence, we're rejecting his angels, his messengers. We're rejecting the gift of prophecy through John. We're rejecting Jesus Christ. And furthermore, we're rejecting the whole order of God. God is a God of order. What are you saying? Come back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 
chapter 1. Leviticus chapter 1. The Bible teaches us <clears throat> that God gave many options of sacrifice to the offerer. Now I want you to notice from verses 10 down to verse 13, they could bring a sheep or a goat for a burnt sacrifice. Do you see that? That's found in verse 10. Then you jump down to verse 14, and the Bible says here that they could bring a fowl or a bird or a pigeon. Now, I had to ask myself, why did God give so many options of sacrifice for the offerer? Why couldn't God just say, you have to bring me a lamb and that's it? But notice here, the Bible says that they could bring a lamb. They could bring a goat. If they were wealthy enough, they could bring an ox. Now, if they weren't as wealthy as some people living in the time of the book of Leviticus, they could bring a pigeon. They could bring a turtle dove. Now, if you're living in that time and you were a rich person, you would have a lot of cattle. If you didn't have much cattle, then you would have at least a pigeon. Now, if you were really, really poor, everybody at least had flour. And, and the Bible tells us that God would often, because of their financial uh, struggles, he would uh, accept uh, their flour. Now, the Bible tells us that there is a reason why God gave to the children of Israel these different options. You see, if you weren't rich enough, to bring a cattle, then God will still accept your, 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 your pigeon or your turtle dove. Amen? Amen? If you weren't rich enough to bring a goat or to bring a sheep, God will, still ex uh, God will still accept your little dove as an offering. Thus, that tells us a lesson. That when it comes to our sacrifices, when it comes to our offerings to God, the poor person who brings a small dove is just as acceptable in the sight of God as a rich man who brings, a, who brings an ox. Amen? Amen? That's the reason why God gave so many options to the children of Israel when it comes to the burnt sacrifice. When it comes to our worship, when it comes to our sacrifice, if someone wasn't rich enough to bring a cattle, then his worship was just as acceptable in the sight of God as someone who brought a turtle dove or a pigeon. Thus, preview or glimpse number two, that the burnt sacrifice brings to our attention about the character of God. When it comes to worship, God is no respecter of persons. Amen? Preview number one, glimpse number one into the character of God. First and foremost, God is a God of order. Glimpse number two, that the burnt offering brings to our attention. When it comes to our worship, God is no respecter of persons. It's not so much the magnitude of our giving that matters to God, but it's more the motive of our giving. 
And this burnt sacrifice principle is amplified even more in the New Testament with that poor woman who gave two mites. That's an amplification of the burnt offering. Because Jesus wasn't looking at the magnitude, Jesus was more concerned at the motive. God is no respecter of persons. One of the beautiful things I love about the Seventh-day Adventist movement is we have such a diversity of ethnicities. And because we have such a diversity of ethnicities, God is no respecter of persons. Amen? There is beauty in diversity. What do you say? That's glimpse number two into the burnt offering. Come with me back to Leviticus chapter one. Glimpse number one that the burnt offering brings to our attention. God is a God of order. Glimpse number two into the character of God. When it comes to our worship, God is no respecter of persons. Come with me to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter one. Notice what the Bible says here in verse three. Leviticus. Chapter 1, what verse are we on? Verse 3. The Bible says, as a matter of fact, jump over to verse 9. We'll come back to verse 3 in a few seconds. The Bible says, But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall burn how much? All on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice and offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. A what kind of a savor? A sweet savor unto the Lord. Now jump over to verse 13. The Bible reads, verse 13. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water. And the priest shall bring how much? All and burn it. Then the Bible says, Upon the altar it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a what? Sweet savor unto the Lord. Verse 17. And he shall cleave it with the wings thereof, but shall not divide it asunder. And the priest shall burn it upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. The Bible tells us three times here in the book of Leviticus that the burnt offering or the burnt sacrifice was a sweet savor unto the Lord. Out of all the offerings, the burnt offering is the only offering that is described as being a sweet savor unto the Lord. You won't hear that about the sin offering. You won't hear that about the trespass offering, nor would you hear it about the grain offering, unless the grain offering and the sin offering and all the other trespass offering was connected with the burnt offering. When they were joined together, then it becomes a sweet savor unto the Lord. 
But in and of itself, the Bible says that the burnt offering was a sweet savor unto the Lord. Now, why is it that this offering is unique in the, in, uh, uh, from all the other offerings in being a sweet savor? Jump over to verse 3. Come back to verse 3 of the book of Leviticus. The Bible says, what verse are we on? If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a male without blemish. He shall offer it of his what? Own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. The Bible tells us that this offering is unique from the other four because it was a voluntary offering. All of the other four offerings were mandatory. You had to bring a trespass offering. You had to bring a sin offering. You had to bring a grain offering. But the burnt offering was voluntary. You didn't have to bring it if you don't feel like it. Amen? This is what makes this offering so sweet in the sight of God. Because it is not an offering based on obligation, but it is an offering that stems from love. There is a difference between obligation and duty and being a free will voluntary Christian. What do you say? And it is the free will offering of a Christian that becomes a sweet savor in the sight of God. There are some things in Christianity that are mandatory. We are obliged to do it. What do you say? But there are some things that are voluntary. And so the Bible teaches us that the life of the believer becomes a sweet savor in the sight of God when he fulfills the law of God out of a voluntary heart rather than out of an obligated heart. There is a difference between duty and love. Duty only goes so far, but love goes all the way. The burnt offering was a sweet savor in the sight of God because it was an offering that wasn't really required. And any kind of offering that we bring into the presence of God out of our own free will becomes a sweet savor in the sight of God. When we return, when we return our tithe to God from a willing heart, it becomes a sweet savor unto the Lord. When we keep the Sabbath from a willing heart, it becomes a sweet savor unto God. What do you say? Amen. When we eat the way we eat and dress the way we dress, out of a voluntary heart, it becomes a sweet savor unto God. Anything outside of that becomes abominable in the sight of God. 
Come with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 25. Exodus. What chapter are we on? Any offering in the life of the believer that is rendered from a willing heart and not out of requirement or mandated is a sweet savor unto the Lord. That's glimpse number three into the mind and the character of God. Glimpse number one, God is a God of order. Glimpse number two, into the mind and the character of God. God is no respecter of persons. Glimpse or preview number three into the mind and character of God is that a believer that renders his sacrifice from a willing heart becomes a sweet savor unto God. Exodus chapter 25. And notice what the Bible says in verse 2. The Bible reads, let's begin with verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring me an offering of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart. Ye shall take my offering. When God told Moses to build the sanctuary, the Bible says that God told Moses to tell the children of Israel to bring all the lumber, the timber, all the necessity stationary that was needed to build the sanctuary. But the Bible makes it very clear in verse 2 that Moses was to accept the gifts from the children of Israel under one condition and one condition only. What was that condition? That they give it with a willing heart. That they give it willingly. If we were to flip the coin, so to speak, on this verse, what God was implying to Moses was simply this. Moses, do not accept any gift from any man that gives it with a grudging heart. Do you see that implication in verse 2? We read it on the surface level, and it's also implied in that verse. Do not accept the gifts of those that give it with an unwilling heart. Thus from Exodus chapter 25 and verse 2, the Bible teaches us that God will not accept any gift given with a grudging and unwilling heart. What becomes a sweet savor in the sight of God when it comes from our own free choice. I often wonder to myself, as I stand before people, what makes you here, come here today? What makes you keep the Sabbath? Is it out of your own free willing heart or are you forced to be here? When you sing, do you sing from a willing heart or do you sing from a grudging heart? No matter how melodious your voice may be, no matter how harmonious your orchestra or your choir may be, if it's sung from an unwilling heart, it becomes abominable in the sight of God. No matter how much you may return on that offering plate, though God accepts faithfulness, but if it's given with a grudging heart, it becomes abominable in the sight of God. God is not so much concerned about the magnitude of giving, but He's more concerned about the motive of giving. 
Come with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. Ephesians, what chapter are we on? Chapter 6 and verse 12. As a matter of fact, verse 6. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. Let's begin with verse 5 to get some context into this. Servants, what does it say? Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of your heart as unto Christ. Not with eye service as men pleases, but as the servants of God doing the what? The will of God from the heart. That, my dear friends, is a true servant. A servant is not one that does the will of God because people are looking upon him or her, but a servant is one that does the will of God from their heart. That is sanctuary language. That is burnt sacrifice or burnt offering language. Doing the will of God from their heart. Come with me to 2 Corinthians. Before we go back to the book of Leviticus. 2 Corinthians. Chapter 8 and verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And what verse are we on? Verse 12. The Bible reads, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. Gifts will be accepted only when it's given with a willing heart. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12 is simply telling us. Gifts will be accepted when given with a what? With a willing heart. Now, why do I, why do I lay the foundation on this particular point? Because when we preview the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah from the perspective of the burnt offering, the Bible teaches us that the reason why the sacrifices in the time of Isaiah and Jeremiah were so abominable in the sight of God is because it was sacrificed with an unconverted and an unwilling heart. That's why over and over again in the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, the Bible says, your offerings and your sacrifices are abominable to me. They were following the law right down to its meticulous detail, but because they were following the law right down to its meticulous detail, it was still abominable in the sight of God. Thus teaching you and I today, we could be following the law of God right down to the detail, but still our lives will be abominable to Him if we have an unsanctified and unwilling and grudging heart. The Bible makes it very clear that God loveth a cheerful giver. Amen? That sounds like a burnt sacrifice to me. What do you say? God... Loveth a cheerful giver. Come back to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 1. And verse 9. Leviticus chapter 1. 
and verse 9. The Bible reads, But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water, and the priest shall what, friends? Shall burn how much? All on the altar. Now jump over to verse 13. The Bible says, But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring how much? All and burn it. This is what makes the burnt sacrifice so pleasing in the sight of God. Out of all the sacrifices, I'm going to show you in comparison, maybe in the next 10 or 15 minutes after our break, I'm going to show you a comparison between all of these offerings and the burnt offering. The other offerings, you could bring just a partial amount of that burnt offering. But the burnt offering teaches us that the offerer had to bring all. Amen? If the offering wasn't brought holistically, everything was there, then it was unaccepted by God. This pointed to Jesus. Because when Jesus left heaven, he left all to die on the cross for our sins. He held nothing back. Amen? Jesus gave all. And when we accept Jesus and reflect his character, when we reciprocate what Jesus has done for us, we too will give back all for our Savior. God will not accept any partial offerings when it comes to the burnt sacrifice. We must lay all upon the altar. How much should I say? All. We are to hold nothing back because Jesus, the ultimate burnt sacrifice, held nothing back to come and mediate on our behalf. That's why I asked the lady to sing the song earlier on today, that beautiful song. All to Jesus I surrender. That's burnt sacrifice language. What do you say? All to him I freely give. The burnt sacrifice was only accepted in the sight of God if it was given completely to God. My dear friends, I want my life to be a burnt sacrifice. How about you? I want to give everything that I have, not out of a grudging heart or an unwilling heart, but I want to give it with a willing heart. How about you? That's a burnt sacrifice. That's what God desires of us. Let me review what we just talked about this evening. The burnt sacrifice, all of these offerings, gives us a glimpse or a preview into the mind and the character of God. Firstly, the Bible teaches us that the burnt offering tells us about the mind of God, that God is a God of order. You remember that? Secondly, the second glimpse or preview into the mind of God that the burnt sacrifice brings to our attention, that God is no respecter of persons. God is not so much concerned about the magnitude of giving, but more the motive of giving. God loveth a cheerful giver. Thirdly, the Bible tells us that all of our offerings, our life, 
must be a free willing sacrifice in the sight of God. If that's clear, can you say amen? amen. I want my life to be a burnt offering. Let us bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Then we'll have a five-minute break and then come back and carry on. Father in heaven, we thank you for the example that you have given to us through the burnt offering. By sending your son Jesus Christ, he gave all of heaven to die on the cross for our sins. And now we desire to reciprocate that by giving our all to you, mind, body, and soul. This is our humble prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.